The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people, my friends, just trying to make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Some days come down. They come down to nightmare. <laughs> And positivity. When positivity wins, like it did today, the nightmare gets shrugged off and the buying can begin anew. It is always like this. I mean, we had both today. It was crazy. A nightmare start to the session filled with talk about inflationary spirals, COVID variants from Delta to Omega, not to mention earnings shortfalls that could sap the life out of the great reopening trade that we love so much. Yet it ended up being a placid session. Dow gaining 83 points, S&P advancing 0.24%, NASDAQ itching up 0.02%. Seems real solid, given that we had such a huge rally last week. Really building this, especially when you had a lot of superstitious traders worrying that we'd witness a repeat of last Monday's horror show when the market broke down early and then stayed down. Remember that nasty session? That was only a week ago. Well, look, people have good reason to fear a repeat of last Monday's fiasco. At 4.30 this morning, the only stock that was trading higher was the perennial meme name, AMC, leading me to wonder if that's really all there is. I mean, why not take up Apple or Disney for a change? Just because it doesn't have a big short position doesn't mean it's uninvestable. Not that the memesters would ever believe me. By mid-morning, though, the market had reversed course. Stocks like Boeing, which was down 5 at 5 a.m. on heavy volume, turned around and finished the day up $4.33, even as this quarter is far from a sure thing. So uh, we got to ask ourselves, what the hell is with this schizophrenic action? The answer, it's all about COVID and the pursuit of herd immunity. If we reach some sort of nationwide pseudo-herd immunity through a combination of vaccines and infections, or even if we just get a peak in new cases, it could be like a second reopening for the travel, for the leisure, for the retail, the industrials, and energy stocks. Once we start getting over this outbreak, they'll be the place, the place to invest, not just Tesla. 
Although I like the way Tesla acts. What's the other side of the trade? Well, it's virtual mummer's parade of horribles for every billionaire in America, although it's a lot less terrifying for regular people. First, we know that if, let's say Congress passes an infrastructure bill without any funding mechanism at all, we'll be greeted with endless stories about our country's crushing debt burden. They're convinced convinced that all of this deficit spending will cause lots of inflation. All right. Second, we have the debt ceiling crisis of 2021, the dumbest crisis imaginable. Let's hope it's not true, but Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is urging Congress that they need to raise the debt ceiling by August 2nd, or else the government will have to take extraordinary measures to keep paying the bills. Can you believe we're back in this? Can you believe this? Now, many of you are too young to remember what it was like to trade during the last debt ceiling crisis in 2011. We got a horrific bear market. It was actually down about 19.5% as U.S. debt got hit with a downgrade just on the prospect of a congressionally mandated default. I'd love to avoid doing that again, but I expect no real action to be taken here because you need a supermajority in the Senate in order to raise the debt limit. Unfortunately, you've got to pay attention to this because as we get closer to the limit, The media will talk about it endlessly. Steal yourself to the mast once again. Third, let's deal with the supposed inflationary spiral wages and goods. I keep hearing that people talking like like this is already a given. They read that used car prices are through the roof. They see home prices through the roof. They're shocked at the cost of everything from coffee to coal. Uh, And that's, by the way, brought up by a furious run in natural gas. Both the Bloomberg Commodity Index and the CRB are at breakout highs. Not good. All sorts of powerful people have lost faith in the Fed. They think that Jerome Powell is asleep at the wheel. Now, I still agree with Powell that this is transitory, in part because so many commodities peaked in May. But we've got to face facts. We haven't seen anything like this in my lifetime with surging demand thanks to last year's forced deprivation and then a series of checks from the government to get things moving again. I'm getting roaring again. Still, I think it's insane to hold Powell's feet to the fire right now. He's kept interest rates low for the simple reason that unemployment remains stubbornly high. He sees what everyone else sees, but he's not going to slam the brakes uh, uh, when the rest of the government stepping on the accelerator, especially when he repeatedly called for our elected leaders to hit the gas pedal. Powell's willing to bide his time until the supply chain catches up, the hefty unemployment benefits run out, and millions of parents can rejoice the wor- rejoin the workforce because the kids are back to school. Fourth, the nightmare extends to tri- geopolitical craziness. The Chinese government has rediscovered the communist roots. Hmm. They keep attacking their own companies, including companies that trade here, seemingly without rhyme or reason. I mean, maybe it's a crackdown on corrupt billionaires, Chinese billionaires. Maybe it's belief that some of these big tech operations have gotten too powerful. Whatever the reason, this crackdown is happening all over the place. The Communist Party is clubbing the for-profit school companies because apparently, get this, they're concerned the students are studying too hard. I mean, seriously? They're hitting a bunch of online operators in the grocery music business. I mean, what is next? You gotta ask Baidu, JD.com, Alibaba, who knows who wants to own? It's funny, for years, I've been saying in a radical position that we should stop Chinese companies from listing their stocks here because they don't obey American securities laws and their IPOs tend to underperform. Our government hasn't been at all concerned, whistling past the graveyard. But you know what? China's taking me seriously. They're destroying the golden goose here. Extremely ill-advised. Greatly backward. That's a lot to worry about, but somehow we triumphed over the nightmare today. What made things better? One word. Gottlieb. That's right, Dr. Scott Gottlieb. With all the frightening scenarios put out by government public officials this weekend, what a pleasure this man is. I love this guy. This morning, totally against the grain, he predicted that we're going to follow the United Kingdom into a COVID peak. Oh, it's not a great way to get there. We want the virus to peak because everybody's vaccinated. 
Instead, we'll get there because the Delta variant is insanely contagious. And once the whole country's been infected, it will burn itself out. Well, it's certainly a 1918 way to look at it. We wouldn't be in this situation if the FDA would simply approve the current vaccines, the ones we've given to hundreds of millions of people. Right now, though, they're only authorized for emergency use, which makes it more difficult for companies to compel or insist that their employees get vaccinated. You always hear the same thing, right? You go, We're urging it. I mean, yeah, we're telling people it would be good, but you never hear them say, and they better do it or they're fired. If the FDA would give us approval, then every institution in America could demand proof of vaccination, just like schools do for measles, mumps, rubella. Honestly, I wish the whole country had the NFL's policy of forfeiting a game because of COVID. Then your coworkers would do the coercing because they don't want to miss the next paycheck. Boy, I like that method. It's brilliant like so many things the NFL does. At this point, though, it's probably too late to solve the problem. With the Delta outbreak, new infections will overtake vaccinations and the virus will finally peak. Terrible way to do it. That's what happens. Let me give you the bottom line here. When COVID burns itself out, you'll want to own exactly the kind of stocks that you're selling if you're worried about the nightmare scenario, including the including inflation nightmare scenario, which is why this market, it just refuses to go down. I forgot to mention he's also a member of the board of Pfizer and Illumina, which, by the way, gives him a lot better, better insight than any of, these, I mean, any of these people in the government. All right. Uh, let's go to Ron in New York. Ron! Hey, Jim. How are you? I am good, Ron. How about you? All right. Uh, with Trade Desk continuing with its increased year-over-year revenue, having excellent customer retention, and today announcing a partnership with Hivestack, given the stock split 10 for 1, should I jump in at these levels, wait for a dip, or don't get it at all? Thanks for taking my call. Okay, let's see. We'll dump it, wait for a dip, or don't get it. What happened to buy it? I, I think Trade Desk is extraordinary. And I think when we see the numbers from Alphabet, it's going to show how good they are. I want you to own the stock. You know what? We got to go to Jerry in New York. Jerry. Jimmy, chill. Yo, man, I was chilling with my garden this weekend. The haters didn't know what to do with the cucumbers. They were thinking, what, does he should, what should he do with the cucumbers? Maybe take that offline. What's going on? All right. I was looking for your outlook on Skywork Solutions with your earnings. Well, that's easy enough. Ahead of the quarter. That stock's about to break out big time. By the way, that's reverse head and shoulders for those who are technically inclined. Can we go to Steve in Arizona, please? Steven! Jimmy, how are you, lad? Uh, long-time listener, love the show. Ah, uh, you're a good man. Thank you very much. What's going on? Jimmy, I've been following your stock for 10 years from way back when. You are the only analyst I've ever heard on CNBC mention the stock Dexcom. Well, that's because it's I the best it's- of the best. They make the best glucose monitoring device, and it's just going to get better and better, which is why I continue to recommend the stock, and I've done so since the 30s, because it's a really good machine. All right, look, once we get over this outbreak, you'll want to invest in the reopening stocks. Once you think travel, retail, industrials, energy, American Express. Oh, man, money tonight. Does your portfolio need a lift? Global elevator company Otis Worldwide has been steadily climbing higher this year. We got the exclusive with the CEO. After earnings, find out this nearly 170-year-old name can continue to elevate your portfolio. Do you know that elevators 170 years ago? There's something to think about. Plus, restaurants have had a tough go of it during the pandemic. But I'm going off the charts on three names that are on the fast track to profits. And they all report this week. Stocks, bonds, Andy Warhol? I'm going to off the tape with a private player that is pioneering a brand new type of investing. So stay with Kramer. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. 
Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do we do with the great industrial companies that have already had tremendous runs? Take Otis Worldwide, the leading maker, installer, and servicer of elevators and escalators that was spun off by the old United Technologies this year. This morning, Otis reported well, kind of a stunning quarter, frankly, an 8-cent earnings beat off a 71-cent basis, much higher than expected organic sales growth, up 15.4%. Even better management raised their full-year forecast, but stock barely budged. Oh, maybe because it's already up 30% for the year. I think this is an excellent business in an expanding economy, and they don't get nearly enough credit for the steady eddy service division. But the stock's already moved up so much, we've got to figure out what can keep it climbing. So let's check in with Judy Marks, the president and CEO of Otis Worldwide, to get a better read on the quarter and what she sees going forward. Ms. Marks, welcome back to Man Money. Jim, thanks so much for having me back. Great to be here. Oh, Judy, I got to tell you, these are just unbelievable numbers. I mean, when you look, there's a great page in your deck about 2021 financial outlook. Literally, prior outlook, current outlook, not just better, but dramatically better. Or organic sales, adjusted operating profit, adjusted net income, free cash flow and capital deployment. Now, some of this has to be because there's a bit of a rebound. Some of this has to be because you're taking share. Yeah, it's absolutely about taking share. Second quarter last year was our lowest quarter. But as you know, this is an extremely resilient business model. And our our colleagues have just been resilient, not just throughout the pandemic, but now accelerating with end markets all being positive globally. Fantastic organic growth top line, 25% in the new equipment, almost 8% in the service segment. And our orders were strong, too, which really bodes well for our future. We drove our backlog 5%. And our customers who were buying new elevators and escalators, that was up almost 24%. And any and our customers who were modernizing elevators throughout the globe, either the aesthetics or the technology, almost 17% there. That's what drove really the strong earnings growth, as you said, $0.79 cents EPS 
up 40%, over 40%, same period last year. And we really do see the end markets being strong. And it gave us the confidence to raise our outlook. Well, there's an absolutely great line that I've never heard in a conference call. We ended the quarter, this is you quote, I'm quoting you. We ended the quarter with $1.9 billion of cash on the balance sheet. And we clearly don't require that much cash to operate this business. In other words, you truly are in the enviable situation of being able to develop new technology, be really competitive, and then return even more to shareholders, which is why it's such a mistake that the stock wasn't up big today. Yeah, it's a great business model, and, and we're executing our strategy really with, with almost perfection. It, that's what focus does, Jim, and that's what we've been doing you know, for the last almost six quarters is focusing on our customers, driving innovation, growing our new business through share. We had a point of share gain, and most importantly, growing our service portfolio. We grew our service portfolio 3% this quarter. We have 2.1 million units under service. We were able to do that. Second quarter in a row, negative working capital, which really does just incredibly generate cash. And uh, we were really pleased. We paid down the last payment of the debt we felt we needed to since spin in January. And we've since generated enough cash that that today we we increased our share buyback target for the year to $750 million to be able to share this with with our dividend that we raised last quarter. Uh, One of the things I thought was really terrific was that China, you were going mid-single digit. Now you're going maybe mid-single digit plus. So many of our companies are struggling in China. Why is Otis doing so well there? Well, we've been in China since 1984, 15,000 colleagues there, and and they really, our JV partners are wonderful, but the end markets are doing really well. We put a strategy in place about five quarters ago to grow our sales coverage, grow our service coverage, and we've been doing that. So we had mid-teens growth in revenue, um, record orders quarter for us in China this past quarter, and our service portfolio is growing mid-teens. China's 60% of the global elevator segment. And we knew we needed to grow there. We knew we needed to change our strategy. And our team has been implementing that very well, especially in the tier one and tier two cities and with these key large developers, these key accounts. These are ta- this, this is really shared takeaway. I know Otis had had a step back in China. It looks like that that's no longer the case. Well, this is, the again, the beauty of focus and the beauty of being right. independent. We get to make the investments. We get to follow through on our strategies. And that's what we're doing. All right, so tomorrow we're going to see Gen 3 and Gen 360. Now, will I notice as a customer? Pardon? Will I notice these new innovations oh. that you're doing? Oh, you will, you will notice them because the, our world is a connected world, and we believe today and the future is all about the connected elevator. So the Gen 3 product that we're rolling out builds on our best flat belt technology from our best-selling Gen 2. We sold over a million of those units and, and it adds a connection, an, in, an IoT connection we call Otis One, that gives us real-time access to be able to be predictive and transparent and provide customers access, provide a different passenger experience. Gen 360 is our most, our most complex, but our most advanced part of the Gen 3 family. It's available in EMEA because of, of the code allows it there. Digital architecture, electronically connected, and the passenger experience will be different. But what's really neat about it, besides all the sensors and all that technology, is we've been able to put this in a more compact form. We've been able to make it safer with reduced entrapments, Jim, so the passengers will have less times being entrapped. But it also, we've, we've put in a very innovative 
um, ability to maintain it so our mechanics don't have to get on the rooftop. And what that means for our customers is a flat roof. There's no longer a bump in the roof and architects and building owners are so excited about that. That's incredible. I mean, we're all used to like rooftop James Bond chases and there's always that box at the top. And I know it's because of you. It's because of the bad elevator system. But this is so an architect can actually design an Otis elevator in and not have that ugly top. Well, I'm not going to call it an ugly top. It was needed for maintenance. (laughs) Um, But but yeah. And actually, if you go to right now, Architects can go to our our website. Our digital marketing has taken off. You can actually go to our Otis.com, go on our Otis Create tool, and you can actually specify and and create a BIM model, which is the the the, uh, the digital equivalent of of an elevator. You can choose the aesthetics, you can choose the dimensions, and and it's all done digitally. And in India, with our entry level Gen Two Prime, you can even get a price and order it online. All right, one last question. I got on an elevator today. There was another person on the elevator. They immediately get off because I got on. I mean, I'm like, I, I had a mask. He had a mask. All right, and what are you prepared for for a customer who says, look, we think there's going to be multiple pandemics, and we got to have an elevator that makes it so that we can have three people on it? Well, we have elevators to do that today, and it's, it's, in our, it's in our offering. But the first thing I'll tell a customer, and I tell them this today, is elevators are safe. There's tremendous airflow. We did a study with with experts at Purdue and elevators. You're only on it for a short period of time. The code requires ventilation and that's there. We also offer extra filtration and other health solutions if people want additional, um, you know, additional state of mind and, and to feel better. But at the end of the day, an elevator ride is safer than going to the grocery store. You're only on it for a short amount of time. And we say take the elevator. Excellent. All right, Judy Marks, congratulations on just an awesome quarter. President CEO of Otis Worldwide, it's always great to see you. You too, Jim. Thanks so much for having me. Just because the stock went up before doesn't mean it can continue to go up. How about a business that says we have too much money to keep, we don't need it all? So they're going to return it to you. May have money's back after the break. Coming up, do these charts look good enough to eat? Kramer challenged down on a sector that could make your mouth water. Next. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Just when we thought the world was going back to normal, COVID-19 mutated. And now the Delta variant is spreading like wildfire among the unvaccinated. While the market shook off those worries last week, new infections keep spiking. And you got to wonder, if you said at the top of the show, if the pandemic's Delta force will end up postponing the great reopening. 
at least partially. So in a situation like this, how do you play the restaurants? Okay, this is one of the hardest hit groups when COVID first got out of control. Thanks to government safety restrictions, many of these places either shut down or operate under extremely limited capacity. As someone who has two restaurants in Brooklyn, I can tell you it was a huge pain in the neck. I don't see these restrictions making a comeback because the states with the lowest vaccination rates are also the most resistant to any kind of safety measures. I bet the Venn diagram of people who wouldn't wear masks and people who won't get their Moderna or Pfizer shots is almost a perfect circle. However, the Delta variant could still have a chilling effect on the industry if it makes customers less eager to go out for food. And that's bad news. How about the good news? Simple. The restaurant stocks that will do the best with the renewed COVID outbreak are the same ones that are already doing great this earnings season. When we saw this last week when Chipotle and Domino's knocked it out of the park, how about those two quarters? These are companies that pivoted aggressively to digital in order to make money in an environment where sit-down dining was off the menu. Many investors worried that they would struggle this past quarter because they were up against tough compares. And the greatest reopening, well, it means they're facing more competition. Instead, Chipotle and Domino's did much, much better than expected. Their stocks soared. Yep, they've been able to keep winning because their huge investments in technology, okay, not in food, but in technology, have given them a decisive edge in an even more, you know, in a more normal environment. Plus, there's also a last man standing effect as many of their smaller rivals went under when COVID was raging. Now, regular viewers know I love Chipotle and Domino's, but what else fits the last man standing portfolio? Well, to answer that question, we're going off the charts with the help of Bob Lang. He's the founder of ExplosiveOptions.net, as well as being the brilliant technician in the two-man all-star team behind the Street.com's Trifecta Stocks newsletter. He's also the author of Know Your Options. He likes three charts in particular. He likes McDonald's, Starbucks, and Yum! Brands, three of the largest players in the quick-serve space with tremendous scale and terrific management. Remember what I said about scale? If you have it, you win. Let's start with the daily chart of the one that has the most scale, McDonald's. McDonald's. The Golden Arches reports Wednesday, but the stock's already off to the races. Lang points out that it's been three months trading in a sideways pattern. Look at this. Three months. And a lot of people were saying it's dead money until last week when it caught fire. Right here, okay? Technicians call this sideways action building a base. It's a bit of a springboard. The longer the base, the stronger the move. Meanwhile, Lang says the volume trends have turned sharply bullish here. Okay, so we see... um, you can see some of this going up like that, all right? Uh, volume, of course, is like a polygraph, as we always say. It tells you whether or not a move is being honest. So McDonald's soaring on strong volume is good news. On top of that, there's the MACD moving average convergence divergence line that I love as an indicator. Uh, important, uh, it's, this one helps you figure it out ahead of time. And look at this. This, moment, this thing is just way up. And you got to remember, we want to try to find things in the charts that tell us what to do before it happens. MACD made a bullish crossover right before last week's fabulous run to new highs. Now, I know it seems like it it looks like it's difficult to see, but when you're up here, you can see that there's no doubt about it. That is a true crossover, and it's fabulous. In fact, last week is maybe the most crucial part of this picture as far as Lanx is concerned. This was what's known as an outside week, one where you had both a lower low and a higher high. In an outside week, the trend is up for grabs. So McDonald's finishing at the higher end of the range was very bullish. Last but not least, Lang believes the stock is far from overbought here, meaning it should have more room to run. He could easily see McDonald's run to an incredible, and by the way, this is the overbought, oversold, still could go up here, incredible 270 in the not-too-distant future. I mean, I read this, I said, just go buy it. He recommends snapping up on any pullback. You might get one this week, even if the company reports a great quarter on Wednesday, because this is the most confusing part of the earnings season. And do not forget, 
that uh, the Fed speaks on Wednesday. Next up, check out this daily chart of, you know, a longtime favorite of this show, Starbucks. This is also Lang's favorite. After the last time it reported, uh, Starbucks reported three months ago, stock pulled back and then was stuck trading sideways in a narrow eight-point range. Then last week, the stock broke out to new all-time highs on a very strong volume, uh, similar to what we saw with McDonald's. By the way, this is, this is just seminally beautiful. On top of that, the MACD made a bullish crossover. Here you go. An obvious and determined one in late June, where the black line goes above the red one, and that's one of the most reliably positive patterns out there. And there's the Chaken Money Flow, CMF, a tool that shows you whether big institutions are buying or selling. Right now, it is super strong. Put it all together. Look at this. Look at this. Will you look at this? I mean, that's awesome. Put it all together, and Lang thinks Starbucks could make a run from 125 to 140 in the not-so-distant future. Given that the company reports tomorrow evening, you should wait to hear what they have to say before you pull the trigger. However, you know, I'm a big believer in Kevin Johnson, the CEO. So if the stock ends up getting dinged tomorrow, you might want to pounce. We have to hear uh, coffee's up 50 percent. What does that mean for them? Finally, there's a daily chart of a stock that I have felt was too cheap all along. And it's Yum Brands, the parent of KFC, Taco Bell and Pizza. This is another one where the action is incredibly similar to what we saw from McDonald's. Lang points out that Yum made a series of lower highs and lower lows since early May. So there you go. We want that. And then it snapped out of that pattern. OK. Snapped out of the pattern right here uh, with a monster breakout to the upside just last week. Look at this move. That's what's happening to these big cap stocks. Like you wake up, and you can't believe how high they are. He also likes that the volume here has been robust. I think the volume should have been more robust, but he likes it. More buyers than sellers, even on down days. On top of that, last week, 8% run reminds Lang of Yum's epic run in early April. And this was just astounding. After that move, the stock continued higher after earnings and line things. We could see the same thing this week, given that the company reports on Thursday. Meanwhile, the MACD line made a bullish crossover last week and the relative strength index, another important momentum indicator, still hasn't reached overbought levels. It's very close to it, though, meaning Yum hasn't run too far too fast. Put it all together, and Lang's betting this $123 stock value to $135 and then maybe to $140. Here's the bottom line. Last week, some of the biggest restaurant names exploded higher, and the charts, as triggered by Bob Lang, suggested that they got more room to run. He likes Starbucks the most, but also points to McDonald's and Yum Brands as potential winners. As for me, I think he's right. These stocks are exactly what you want to own if the great reopening is hitting a Delta variant and do snag, as we talked last week. Sometimes I wish the Chapel Trust could own all three. Kevin in New Jersey. Kevin. Jim, as stated in the last conference call, this company has produced double-digit revenue gains with its popular brands of beer and hard seltzer and sees a new dawn arriving with its cannabis, with cannabis-infused beverages. CEO Bill Newland sees exponential growth in the business and wants to pour billions into improving its brewery infrastructure. But many disagree, saying the surplus could be used for buybacks or dividends. Right. With new pandemic fears looming and some formidable competitors out there, is Constellation Brands a buy, sell, or hold? I'm just putting Thank that you. as a flat-out buy. I mean, I know that last week we had that disappointing number from Sam, okay, from Boston Beer. But I got to tell you, I think Constellation is much better handling the situation than SEZ. I like it. The chart suggests that the stocks of Starbucks, McDonald's, and Yum! Brands have more room to run even after the big breakouts last weekend. I've got to tell you something. I agree, especially if the Delta variant puts the great reopening on hold. Much more mad money at. Many people think of investing as an art. And it looks like this next company agrees. Masterworks created the first platform for buying and selling shares in iconic works of art. Now I'm talking with the CEO of the private company. Next. Then Full House. 
The nation's largest home builder is seeing more demand than it can handle. I like that. I'm breaking down what that means for the broader economy. And all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. I always wanted to recommend owning some fine art as part of a diversified portfolio, but I, I never do. Because if you can afford to buy multi-million dollar paintings, you're already rich. Historically, it's been a very good investment. It's just totally inaccessible to most people. Or at least it was. Now there's a new way to get some fine art exposure. A privately held startup called Masterworks has created a platform for buying or selling shares in what are known as iconic works of art. They use proprietary data to find artists likely to produce the best returns, then buy their art and securitize it with SEC filings and everything, allowing you to buy shares in in, in a given price. Isn't this brilliant? These are more like bonds than stocks. The strategy involves selling each work after three to ten years, then distributing the proceeds to shareholders. It's intriguing. I kind of like it. So let's take a close look with Scott Linney. He's the founder and CEO of Masterworks. Learn more about how he's democratizing art investment. Mr. Lin, welcome to Mad Money. <laughs> Thanks. I, I feel like I couldn't have uh, said that intro better myself. Well, Scott, I got to tell you, my mom was an artist. She also worked at a, at a gift store in um, Woodmere Art Art Museum in Philadelphia. So I'm acutely conscious of how difficult it is to try to figure out who's going to be really big and who isn't. But let's go back for a second. I have always said to people that the two things that have held up their value in the craziest times of hyperinflation are real mansions and masterworks. Empirically, is that not true? I I think that's true. And we have a lot of data to suggest that art prices are inversely correlated to interest rates as well. So in this low interest environment, we're just seeing a a rise across the entire art market. Now, I also find that it is a stuffy business. And you're making a stuffy meaning it is for people who are multimillionaires. And when they go up, we all feel like, well, why couldn't I have a piece of a Van Gogh? You know, why, why, why don't I have some, some, some Rembrandt? What is going on? You're a Rothko. And you are making it so everyday people can get a piece of the action? Yeah, I mean, I think if you take a step back and you look at the art market overall for the past 25 years, contemporary art has appreciated 14% from 1995 through 2020. So it's beat basically every other asset class. The challenge is, as you pointed out, is that you have to have millions of dollars to buy a painting, or I would argue tens or hundreds of millions of dollars to build a portfolio. So it's a it's a natural asset class to securitize, and we're, we're allowing anyone to invest, whether you're a retail investor, whether you're a credited investor, you can come to the Masterworks website and pick and choose individual paintings to invest in. Well, uh, you may not know this, but I owned an art gallery for two years. Um, <laughs> I, I found a very that. hard business. It was a hard business because I gave wine out when they had an opening and people used to just line up and get the wine and leave. It was a bad <laughs> business model. But one thing was certain, I had no idea who was going to be successful and who wasn't. And there were people I thought uh, we're, we're going to be dynamite and they were failures. And then there were people actually, it was like a waiter that I met and his stuff was great. How do you, what kind of inputs do you use that make it so it's a little more scientific than what I was doing? Yeah, so we, we have a giant database of art market returns, right? So we're the only firm in the art market that, that actually has a research team dedicated to, to learning about returns. And the one secret that, that we learn very, very early on is that returns in the art market are only predictable until a painting costs about a million dollars or more. So anything less than a million dollars in the art market, I wouldn't say it's akin to a lottery ticket, but 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 you're, you're, you're definitely taking taking a lot of risk. So we tend to focus on that very high-end segment of the art market that has much more predictable returns. All right, so how does Masterworks make money? 
Uh, we make money very similar to private equity funds. So we our, our management fees are one and a half percent per year, plus 20% of the profit when a painting sells. Um, we tell people to think of these as three to 10 year illiquid investments, expect to hold the investment for a long time. We do have a secondary market now. So people are trading shares in these paintings, just like you would trade shares in a company. Um, but but in general, they're they're longer term they're longer term investments. Do the shares go up with the appreciation, say, of another painting that's not in your portfolio? Yeah, so that's that's the exact right way to think about it. And, and a lot of people don't understand this about the art market. They tend to think of it as this very opaque industry. But really, half of the art market, sixty billion dollars a year in transaction volume, half of that trades at public auction. So you have a huge data set of paintings that are bought and sold all around the world to really understand how prices are trending, very much like real estate. So a comparable in our market would be, you know, a similar Picasso that's selling that, that then um, informs the value of the, of the current investment the investor has. All right. So one of the big problems, I think, with crypto is they uh, resent anything that shows that makes it into security securitization. They don't want it public. They say that that's not right, that it's a private issue, that they shouldn't you shouldn't have to expose anything. It sure seems that, Scott, that you're taking the other point of view. Yeah, look, I mean, we we certainly don't don't subscribe to that. I, I mean, at the end of the day, all of our paintings are, are filed as public offerings at the SEC. So we buy a work of art, we put it into an LLC and we file that as a public offering in the same way that that Uber would go public. Um, in fact, I think we're now the, the largest filer of public offerings with the SEC. We're doing one of these every seven to 10 days. So our, you know, our view is that, particularly with art, we want people to, to trust the asset class. We want to bring transparency to the asset class. Um, and we, we think regulation makes sense in that context. All right. One last question. Uh, obviously, people are listening. They know I'm enthused. Obviously, you're enthused. Who can invest? How do you onboard investors? Um, anyone can invest, so retail investors as well as accredited investors. Go to the masterworks.io website, uh, create an account, schedule a call with our membership team, and we'll we'll get you going. Well, look, I, I got to wish you luck. I think that this is, again, having owned a gallery, I wanted to do what you're doing. I just didn't know how. It was seemed so unscientific. You've got the database, and to me, that means you've got the edge on everybody else. It's it's definitely easy to find alpha in the art market today. Like, I, you know, I tell people this all the time, but you look at companies like Sotheby's that are 275 years old. Christie's is 250 years old. I mean, we're bringing technology to an industry that's literally been around forever and kind of operates the same way. Well, you're a private company, but you're letting people in. I think it's terrific. Scott Lynn, founder and CEO of Masterworks. Great to meet you, sir. Well, guys, I don't know. I mean, I always hear about the art market, and I always feel like it's just for the domain of the rich. This man and Masterworks changing all that. I think it's pretty cool. Man, money's back in. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Ski Dad? The lightning round is over. Sam, they call our Sam. Hi, Jim. Um, with once in a hundred year floods taking place in north of Philadelphia, once in a hundred year fires taking place in the Pacific Northwest, there's no denying climate change is here and a real threat to the economy. With that being said, my question is about the leading solar installer for residential. I'm talking about Sunrun, ticker symbol RUN. No, 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 no. Okay? We're using Genrac. Why are we using Genrac? Because the grid is awful. 
And we have no choice. I want to wish the good people of Ashland. I hope the fire stops there. My daughter loves your town, lived there for a long time. That's Oregon. Gary in Maryland. Gary. Booyah, Jim. I always watch your show every night, and I love it very much. Ah, uh, you're a um, champ. What's up? Um, I have this stock for a long time. It's AT&T, and I heard they're going to cut their dividend, and they're going to go spinning something off. I don't understand. Could you break that up for me and see what's what? Okay, so my, my late Nana Mary always said, if you don't have anything good to say about it, then don't say anything. Kyle in California. Kyle. Hey, Jim, uh, got a uh, question about a little gem out of Irvine, uh, Vizio. Um, I invested early. I um, like Vizio. I'm... Consumer Electronics is good. I, by the way, can I please, ah. I will continue to praise Best Buy until people realize that I am for ser- I'm serious. This Corey Barry is real, and she is welcome on the show. Corey Barry's welcome on the show. Let's go to Brett in Georgia. Brett. Hey, Jim. Yeah, it's Brett from Boston, Georgia. I want to give a quick shout-out to Hag Pro, but quick question. Uh, would you buy some protective puts to cover a long position on Baba and try to sell some covered calls, or would you abandon ship? Uh, well, I, I like Baba's a tremendous company, but it's funny, you know, it's kind of a capitalist company in a communist country. And, you know, Stalin was never into that. Lenin, believe it or not, invited Armin Hammond over from Occidental to try to work with them on the new economic policy. And that is about as capitalist as these countries have become. I'd stay away. Let's go to Nick in New York. Nick! Hey, Mr. Kramer. I'd love to get your insights on a little company called iRobot, ticker symbol IRBT. Well, I keep hearing, you know, where was I watching that Roomba? I was at uh, Ted Lasso. It was a funny show. I think that um, I'm going to pass on it. Uh, it's got a big short position. You know, maybe the meme guys go all over it. I, I'm not there. Jack in New York. Jack. Uh, hi, this is uh, Jack's father. I'm just signing off that he get a question. I'm going to pass the phone now. What was that? Hey, Jim. Yeah. My question's about a company that recently SPAC, with 80% of their clients consenting to give them gen- their genetic health information, they probably have the most information in the healthcare industry. And they've been partnering with drug companies such as GlaxoSmithKline to utilize this information. With information being king nowadays, what do you think about 23andMe ticker ME? Uh, you know, they seem to they seem to shy away from actually being actually being a healthcare company. But I can tell you that I did uh, the equivalent of 23andMe for do- my dogs for uh, Ragu Nvidia the second, and for Marley. And Marley turned out to be 40 percent. Uh, Beagle, and this guy, get this, is a is 40% Australian cattle dog, both of which are better than 23andMe. Let's go to Rich in Florida. Rich. Jim, expat from Gowanus, Brooklyn. Get out of town, man. You're right down the block from me. I'm in exile. Sir Jim, second time, long time. Thanks for all your support during COVID. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. So I'm calling... Yeah, there you go. I'm calling yeah. about a pharma stock I've been following that went uh, parabolic because of its Zizami drug news on Thursday. I caught it on the way up, took profits on Friday, so I'm left with a position. I want to know if you think it's a hold or accumulate, and the stock is NRX. Oh, that was a giant pump and dump. Come on, man. We're staying away from the pump and dumps. Now, there's a lot of people who don't think that's illegal, and they are sorely mistaken. Let's stay away from that. They will caught you in that. They catch you in the net. The way that, like, you know, they got, like, seals and whales and stuff to get caught in nets, and it's bad. Let's go to Rob in Tennessee. Rob. Hey, Jim, how are you? Really nice day. How about you? 
I'm great. Got a semiconductor question for you. Yeah. It's a pick and shovel play. We're not making semiconductors. We're talking about the people that make equipment for it. Brooks Automation. BRKS. Brooks Automation is a good company. It's a real good company. Never understood why they're still independent. I would have bought them if I was like a bigger fish in that business, but I'm not even in that business. And that, ladies and gentlemen, of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, a special excerpt from the market's next bestseller. Horton, here's a home buyer. What can demand do for your investments? Next. Is it possible to have too much of a good thing in the stock market? I mean, that's what I thought as I read the conference call from D.R. Horton, the largest home builder in America. They have awesome demand all over the country, so much demand that they have no hope of meeting it. They're practically running out of houses. Normally, any company would be thrilled to have so much business. Not this time, though. Horton simply didn't see the demand coming, so they're forced to turn away buyers because they don't have enough homes to sell. Hey, by the way, especially true in Texas. And isn't that the COVID capital? The conference call was eye-opening for a couple of reasons. First off, they kept hammering on the theme of supply chain issues. Uh, but in the nitty-gritty, you hear it's about simple things like appliances. Windows. Windows were called out. Why does that matter? Remember, Horton's the top dog in housing. If they're having trouble getting windows and appliances, you got to figure it's totally horrible for the smaller competitors. Second, unlike the disaster of 20, 2007, we've got tons of buyers with excellent credit. They aren't flippers speculating on a second or third home with no documentation. They're regular people looking for a place to live. The down payments are enormous versus 2007. The loan-to-value ratio is pristine, exactly where you want these numbers for safety purposes. In short, there's nothing fragile about the demand for homes right now. It, it's not going away. Third, there's a huge forecasting problem, and we're, we're seeing it throughout the whole country. Normally, our companies are very smart, most, much smarter, by the way, than they were before the Great Recession. A dear Horton doesn't want to build on spec if they can possibly avoid it, but they also don't want to sell houses without windows or appliances. Uh, both shortages just mentioned in the call. How do you ensure this stuff doesn't happen? Well, you have to forecast what you need ahead of time. And when were those forecasts made? Near the height of the pandemic. There was no reason to believe that the economy would bounce back so quickly when they were making plans a year ago. Who could have imagined Moderna and Pfizer would be able to churn out vaccines practically overnight? Well, it was like science fiction. And that meant the entire housing food chain went crazy. It's not just that we mostly, stopped, uh, we mostly stopped COVID, at least if you're willing to get vaccinated. It's also that all sorts of companies have adopted a hybrid work model, meaning people can get away with living a lot further from, home, from the office. And that's caused a spike in demand for housing. The exact opposite of what Horton and everyone else in the industry expected. They probably figured like 1.6 million units. We need like 2 million units like we used to have. In response, home prices have surged, although not excessively. With interest rates so low, affordability is still pretty good. That's what, what you're seeing. That's why you got these big waiting lists for homes. But just put yourself in the shoes of these home builder executives. They're seeing a sudden surge in COVID, a surge that was totally avoidable if people would just get their shots. I'm sure every exec at Horton is vaccinated because they can't afford not to be. Wall Street wouldn't trust your company. So how the heck can they forecast the future when tens of millions of Americans are behaving so irrationally? The result is chaos. Despite their calm demeanor, the people who run Horton get first pick on all the supplies. So they're stocking up while others scramble to get anything done. So what's going to happen? If the Fed raises interest rates, it could slow things down. But I doubt the Fed will tighten soon because that doesn't solve the supply chain problems, doesn't make windows, right? It doesn't create new workers. I think that it's all about 2022 now. Every company is worried about getting caught with too much inventory if we get hit with a Fed-mandated slowdown or businesses abandon the hybrid work model as the world goes back to normal. They don't want to build tons of homes because they're worried about getting caught with too many of them in the future. 
That's a much bigger problem than being caught with too little inventory right now. So when the Fed meets this week, it's vital that they keep interest rates the same, despite what you hear from all these hedge fund managers who are desperate for them to crush the economy, chiefly because of inflation. But raising rates is just too dicey here. I'd much rather have a good economy with some waiting lists than a bad economy where you can buy anything you want instantly. And that is the real takeaway from D.R. Horton's 2021 Odyssey. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. We could try to explain what it feels like to get your work done on a John Deere. The way a Z-Track mower finishes in half the time you thought it would. Or how much easier it is to move mountains of soil with a 1 Series tractor. We could even go into detail about how it feels to tow up to 4,000 pounds behind a Gator XUV. But if you really want to know what it's like to run with us, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you.